Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend, our first of 2022. My name is Adam Ismail, and joining me today, as always, is... Brendan Rollison, and picking up from the last podcast, we've decided to go straight into the deep end of racing games today, Adam, haven't we, in terms of going through a series that you may have heard of, or you may have played briefly, or it will be something that will be totally new to you. But one thing's for sure, the discussion certainly won't be normal, because this is far from a normal series. Yeah, today we are talking about the Runabout franchise, uh, which is a very obscure, weird collection of games from the late 90s and early 2000s um, on the PlayStation, the Dreamcast, the PlayStation 2, as well as the 3DS entry that neither of us were aware of until recently um, that we won't be talking about because I, I don't know, I just didn't get around to it. But um, <laughs> a, very, a very weird franchise nonetheless. And if, you, uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, I guess probably the closest thing you could compare it to is like Midtown Madness. It's one of those like classic like pre-GTA style open world kind of car based games but like very you know like a very g-rated experience not like gta uh where you're just like running odd missions and odd jobs and stuff like that um but it's extremely like it's very much of the era of like weird japanese developer from like the six the 32 64 bit days you know yeah absolutely this is one of these types of genre you could say that time kind of passed it by like the, the need for this type of game died off the more that we started to embrace open world type games especially in the racing genre um, what it offers is something very specific to that era and then even within that era as well it's one of these type of experiences that are probably suited to budget type titles which from a, a publishing point of view like you were saying adam it's known in many different era and sorry in many different regions as many different names and same on the publishing side of things, a whole heap have been involved throughout the series' history. Um, in Europe especially, it was published under the infamous Midas uh, Interactive brand, which shares illustrious companions such as the actually good Penny Racers, um, but also a lot of actual trash as well. I'd noticed that, and uh, as it, Midas has come up a couple of times uh, over Time Extend uh, history, and it was a label that wasn't... Uh, present in the u.s i think the closest thing that we had to it was uh valcom or jester were like two awful budget developers they were responsible for like alfa romeo racing italiano <laughs> bringing that over here and like yeah. uh probably like dt racer and like um the one that's uh the corvette evolution gt which is a different name over there those kinds of like budget racing games suzuki tt Superbikes. Uh, they they didn't do this though. Um, Runabout was it had I think a bunch of random publishers over here. One of them was Bam Entertainment, which yeah. was also uh, they also did a lot of they did a lot of like Cartoon Network tie-in games. I remember they did like the the Powerpuff Girls game. They also did Wipeout Fusion in the U.S. because mm. Sony didn't want to publish it. So. Just one of those weird series that you almost don't even know how it got to continue for as long as it did because nobody seemed to want it. Yeah, <laughs> but they kept yeah. getting made. Very, very odd, especially when just before we started recording, we were saying about the idea that there's this 3DS version as well in the series, and like that was what like ten years or so after the the last one that it released. So it's one of these series that hasn't actually quite died off until 
Climax Entertainment, the actual developers, did yes. kind of go defunct in 2015. It, it managed to kick around for quite some time, and when you're talking to the kind of racing game fan base, it's a surprising, as a surprising presence when it's brought up. It's not something anybody's going to be incredibly passionate about off the bat. It's not something that maybe leaves a lasting legacy of, of any kind of notable kind, but it's one of these types of game, I think, that somebody you knew or you've seen it in a supermarket shelf or something and picked it up yourself. <laughs> it's the type of game that nobody would kind of actively seek to play, but through various oddities that it has, it's probably stuck with people in some mind, even if it's subconsciously. I think that's one thing I would say about the series. It definitely has its um, specific aura about how it plays and, and how it looks. Yeah, and even just like the name Climax Entertainment, like they're not a developer <laughs> I was ever familiar yeah. with. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at their sort of, you know, history, uh, all the games that they did, and I think the most notable is probably Shining Force, uh, which is, I mean, that's like a Sega franchise sort of that I'm not really familiar with, but I've seen that name before. Uh, Shining Force, Shining in the Darkness, those were both Genesis games. And then just like random shit, like they did yeah. that like Virtual Athlete 2K on the Dreamcast, which I've seen a lot of times. I think here it was called like ESPN Athlete or something. Um, and then just random things. Uh, a couple DS games, one was called Dinosaur King. <laughs> yeah. Another one was uh, Element Hunters. They all kind of look like yokai watch type like trying to be like the next like pokemon you know just yeah. a couple of kids trying to catch things like weird weird developer they've done a million or not a million they've they haven't done many things but they were all very different except for runabout seems like runabout was like the one constant that they yeah, had. yeah which is a bit of a surprise and just a very small sidebar on the dinosaur king thing just because it seems aptly time extend but the Dinosaur King franchise started as an arcade game um, and basically what it would be was you'd put the money in and then you would get trading cards out of the arcade machine and then you could use those cards to scan on the machine to bring monsters to life on the actual cabinet itself. There was wow. one of these uh, machines at a caravan park that my gran owned a caravan at and I always remember like it seemed pretty popular with like the the kind of frequent residents of that caravan park, um, but I'd never seen anything about it ever again. And but then I think it was Jetix at the time, which is Fox Kids, I think. Yes. In the US. Yeah. Had they were here the, too. Yeah, Jetix. Yeah, Jetix as well over there. Okay. Well, they um they also showed a cartoon very briefly as well. So like you're saying, yeah. bang on the money there. I think Adam, in terms of trying to go after that specific audience, but I think it was Sega that actually headed up the arcade machine. Um, I'm seeing well. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 2005, developed and published by Sega, this arcade machine. Uh, it was a whole TV franchise. I totally missed all of this. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the TV series ran from February 2007 to January 2008. Still enough time to do 50 awesome. episodes. Wow, um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I had a feeling it didn't last that long. <laughs> I'm surprised it's that many episodes, but... I always remember the cab just because obviously like when you're younger you see anything with a Sega logo you're like oh shit that's cool. <laughs> of course yeah. But then just the weird scanner mechanism and stuff because I know that that must be pretty popular uh, well at the time in Japan those type of machines perhaps but over here you'd be lucky if you had any of that kind of e-amusement type stuff I felt like in Europe where you wouldn't have the chance to kind of keep saves rolling over each time you played an arcade machine or or something like this where it's kind of spewing out trading cards you can use to bring stuff to life. 
one of the kind of first examples I think I'd seen of like a toys to life type idea. So pretty cool. Like, I don't want to kind of distract the conversation with dinosaur king stuff, but pretty interesting. I, <laughs> I think it reflects though just how weird. Like even the company that made Runabout yeah. was weird. You know, the, the series was weird, and so were they. So it just kind of all fits. Um, but. I really don't think, you know, these games are very strange and I feel like maybe they kind of got a little bit more predictable or normal as time went by and maybe like it was easier to make like uh, CG cutscenes and things like that and, and mm. maybe they did a little bit more outsourcing for the localization. But I don't think that it ever gets weirder than Felony 1179 because the setup... Uh, and Brendan, I don't know if you've seen anything related to this, but like when yeah. you start playing the game, and we should say, so so Felony 1179 is what uh, Runabout 1 was called in the US. And uh, I don't, I think in Europe it was still Runabout, but in the US it was yeah, called Felony 1179. Was. It has a hilariously off model, but still rather detailed uh, Dodge Ram that's yellow with black uh, stripes, uh, black racing stripes, bursting through the picture of a beach, and it has like the like the felony, and then the eleven seventy nine text is like in the classic like cops logo type. Um, yeah, very weird. Even weirder because it was published by in the U.S. It was published by ASCII, which is a very Japanese publisher. So a lot of weird things off the bat. I like how if you look at the cover of the game, the the truck has a license plate of the logo of the game which is also above the truck too so it's like you see the logo in multiple places just to hammer home what the game is but <laughs> anyway <laughs> Veli 1179 uh sets up the whole premise of runabout where you're basically a a gun for hire um in terms of like a, a wheelman, a driver Probably not unlike that Vin Diesel game, you know, someone hires you to just like go around and like some rich guy. And uh, in this case, you're trying to get these artifacts, which are um, scattered throughout this like pseudo open world city. Like it's open world for like the late 90s, but it's it's also kind of linear. Um, and they're just these pickups. And as you're trying to get them, you know, you have to weave in out of traffic. You have like a timer on you. Sometimes cops will show up. A lot of the times they won't. Um, and, and you drive this truck around, but what's especially weird about it is I feel like they spent a considerable amount of the game's budget on like the intro, which is like CGI and it is, yeah. um, it's narrated in English too. They, they read the narration for English and there are these big subtitles on the screen and I kind of just want to read the setup of the plot of this game it, to man. you. Do it. Okay, because it's, it's extremely like Resident Evil, but like worse than that. <laughs> so it goes, <laughs> In the late 16th century, archaeologist, archaeologist Thomas Samuel discovered the route to a previously unexplored city of gold. There he found vast amounts of treasure and caskets buried in the ground, which contained gems, gold bars, and the corpses of ancient kings. But there was one casket that could not be opened. Eventually, the casket was purchased at an auction by the entrepreneur Albert Brookman IV for $2 million. His late grandfather's writings described a set of keys that would open the casket. Treasures valuing many millions of dollars lie hidden in this casket. There are three keys, the jade statue, the golden wing, and the silver staff. All three keys are required to open the casket. 
To find the keys, Mr. Brookman hired a man feared in the business world for his characteristics of ruthless pursuit and disregard for the law. <laughs> and then and then it's just like, you see the truck do like a donut and then it says felony 1179. That's it. That's, that's how you enter this world. <laughs> that is incredible, man. Like, what an exposition dump about something that is based on the gameplay of this series seemingly totally unrelated aside from the pickup side of things. <laughs> like, is there a is there like a bit of storytelling during the gameplay loop of felony? No, nine or no, no. So it's no, just, not really. Yeah. You you just go around the city and pick things up, and like there's three different kind of tracks, you know, mini open worlds. Uh, and they each have one mission. It's not even multiple missions in the same world. So <laughs> they really, th this is all the exposition you get. And one of the things I love about it is in addition to it being more than anyone needs to know, it sets up like it tells you, the, it tells you the name of the archaeologist who like discovered the <laughs> casket in the city of gold. But if you think about it, none of those things are really relevant. All you need to know is a rich guy purchased a casket in auction for $2 million. Yeah. Now you need to go find the things to unlock it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it almost sounds like... An arc like in the arcade machine when the demo reel's playing and like it sets up whatever the gameplay loop is. It sounds like that sort yeah. of thing you would see playing before somebody puts credits in. But given this isn't an arcade game and given that it has no bearing on the actual gameplay whatsoever, that is very interesting. I'll, like you were saying, the fact that it actually name drops people as well who are, like you're saying, not mentioned at all for the the rest of the gameplay loop, that is that is impressive. What what an opening. I mean if, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I'm glad that it hit on one of the, the main issues everybody faces in life when they aren't able to open a casket. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an issue we all face. The corpses of ancient kings are in there, so... Yeah, exactly. I mean, who it's doesn't want to be privy of that? That is absolutely the most important part. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely wild, and then they just thrust you into the game. And, you know, it is very much like the arcade sort of um, uh, demo loop, sizzle reel type thing. Uh, yeah. it's all CGI, uh, but there's also like very little animation. It starts out, you're kind of like, as they're explaining this to you, the camera just like slowly pans down like a hallway doom style and like deep inside like the catacombs of like a castle or something. Yeah. Um, and then you just see this guy in the Dodge Ram doing donuts and you're playing the game. So, uh, from there it is pretty predictable you are just trying to complete these uh, runs as quickly as possible. Uh, there are a couple weird things about it. There's actually a large selection of vehicles in the game, but many of them are unlocked. And even if you complete complete the game once uh, got, and get all of the uh, talismans or whatever, the uh, the things that you need in every, in every city, uh, you still would need to go back and I think complete it under different conditions, maybe different time limits or stuff like that to get yeah. all of the cars. But uh, you have that Dodge Ram, there's like a BMW 3 Series, there's like a Honda NSX, and then you have like a bus. Like <laughs> they have like yeah. every manner of vehicle. And uh, it's, it's weird. It's one of those games, it's 97, which isn't super early for PlayStation or like 3D kind of racing games, but like it's one of those games that feels very like prototypical, like very early, very like before this stuff was really figured out yeah. because like there's that time limit, but you, if the time runs out before you get to the goal, you can continue the play. 
Yeah. It's only once you get to the goal <laughs> that the game's like, you didn't do it fast enough, do it again. <laughs> but I think that's actually like a, a tactic maybe so you can learn the world. So yeah, even if you fail, yeah. you can still kind of learn learn the way that the, that the map's laid out. And maybe when you go through it again, you can do a little bit faster next time. But um, yeah, interesting, interesting like world design, uh, sort of interesting track design. But it also feels like really messy, and and you can talk about because you played, I think, um, you played like Runabout Two, which was this game's yeah, direct yeah. sequel, and and you know these games have a very weird sense of of physics and handling. It's almost like it's kind of like how Grand Theft Auto, like the physics are sort of made to be like made to create very comedic situations where you have no control over the vehicle. That happens yeah. all the time in Runabout. <laughs> It does, 100%, and Runabout 2 is pretty much identical in that way. Um, the kind of the physics are there almost to be a hindrance whilst not making it a chore to play. You almost feel as if it's the type of game that will make sure to punish you if you slightly overcorrect your turn or you forget the fact that going over certain different types of terrain will impact the vehicle's handling. It's the exact same runabout too, and assumingly it's like just a trait of the series. Really, this isn't the type of game you play for sharp, incredibly fun handling. It's for the kind of core gameplay loop itself, and, and how ridiculous that can get. Obviously, um, as evidence for that intro to to felony eleven seventy nine. Um, I guess just my question would be, Adam. Then, did you enjoy playing through this game? Like, <laughs> what what was your kind of main takeaways from it? Was there anything that you feel as if should be called out as a positive, or you know, I I would say like for its time, it's it's not a bad game. I think by modern standards, it's probably not great. But like, also, you can complete it so quickly because there's only yeah. one mission in each town, and like each map only takes like three four minutes tops to finish the level like you can get through this game at least do like the loop once yeah. you maybe not don't have all the vehicles but you can do it very quickly um so you know i feel like i completed the game in like under 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> it was which is really great fast. for podcasting of course <laughs> right exactly it makes it makes being able to you know give kind of a review very quick but no i mean it's it's fun i i think it's worth checking out just because it's fucking hilarious like and and oh, it's yeah. really hard to explain this over over audio over a podcast but everything about this game is silly like the handling as we just said is silly there's like as you're driving there's like you know there's, there's pedestrians on the road or on on in the city and stuff like yep. that but they're all bouncing to these sprites they don't animate they just bounce so when they're running away from you and you can't hit them you know because this is a, an e-rated game essentially um they just bounce away quicker and mm -hmm. they make like screaming noises but the noises are like very silly um there's, I think it's like the first or second level in the game. I swear to God, you you drive by like a farm and there's cows in the farm, which are also just like 2D sprites. I mean, they look like, um, what is that game? Carmageddon. Like they look like yeah. the sprites from that yeah. game. Um, and you hear mooing when you drive by the farm. It is unmistakably the sound of a human man mooing. <laughs> it is not an animal. And you just hear it a lot when you drive through that part of the map. It's just, yeah. it's so funny. Um, you you and like the people make like blood curling screaming noises you're not hitting them but they're screaming like they're dying <laughs> there's there's a start to a level where <laughs> completely unprompted most of the levels start out you're just like on like two of the levels start out and you're just like on the road and you're just like 
ready, set, go. One of the levels starts out, you're already inside of like a museum and you're doing like donuts in the museum, destroying the glass and picking up like one of one of the artifacts. And then it says, go. <laughs> like, so you're like a bull in a china <laughs> shop before you even start. Yeah. Like it's it's so hard to convey all of the ways in which this game is just goofy. And I don't know if this is something that they did with Runabout 2, yeah. but I think one of the only objectively terrible things about this game is they decided it would be a good idea if every time you made contact with or crashed into an object, the camera would, your vehicle would stop and the camera would pan around your car. Yeah. And you hit a lot of things in this game. And there are like some roads that are like super narrow where there's parked vehicles on it and you need to kind of like slowly weave your way through. You can't get through without hitting like 40 things. And every time you do, the, the, the game stops. Like they got rid of that in time for the Dreamcast one. And I don't know if Runabout 2 has it, but like it's just absolutely terrible design. It's just, it's so frustrating, but it's also so funny because it, it you can't, play a game like that and not laugh because it's just so it's just yeah. such a bad idea <laughs> runabout 2 is like kind of halfway then between the 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 fellow in the 1179 and the dreamcast one because it does the panning around the the car but the car still maintains its source of momentum at least so hmm. if you come in with enough pace it'll show you the kind of cool showcase cam of what you've hit and then it will just kind of keep you moving. So it sounds like there was at least a small improvement in that side of things. But even then, it's still incredibly frustrating because of the way that it pans the camera around and stuff. It just disorientates you anyway. So it's kind of hard to just pick up and move on from there. And I mean, in terms of the game's actual goals itself, it's interesting because obviously um, you want to get to where the destination is. But it does make a point to call out the kind of damage total that you have. And you would think mm -hmm. that making that higher number is the better way to play it but there's this person on youtube who's like uploaded so many runabout videos and it seems like they're like proper into it and a lot of the kind of focus they've had is on like zero dollar runs through every game so not hitting a single object and yeah. in doing that you actually unlock further content and stuff so it's interesting because when i was younger having played runabout 2 the first time maybe because of burnout and those type of games i'd assumed that the destruction part is a necessary evil of the game but interestingly it seems like it rewards you more for hitting less which with the physics this game has also kind of goes against that because the physics almost feels as if they're there to make you hit stuff but i guess it yeah. adds an additional challenge for people that you, a lot that. of it's not explained like you don't know like am i because it gives it gives you that dollar amount for everything you hit and you're like yep. am i supposed to hit things but also when you hit things your car takes damage and if you take too much damage the game will stop so it's like yeah. what <laughs> what exactly am i supposed <laughs> yeah. to be doing there's one and also the damage is really funny because like it's just like you hit something and it's almost like if you've ever seen top gear rally where like the damage in that game like the car model just a 3d model just gets all bent out of shape like you'll see like a, a you know the different like points in the model will just get stretched so like yeah. it ends up looking like mario uh in the beginning of mario 64 when you like mess with his face all the cars in this game look like that um but yeah there, there's one part i'm remembering from one of the levels where like the cops don't, at least in the first game, they don't really mess with you too much, but there are certain defined points where all of a sudden the police will care. And one of in one of those points, like you drive past like, I don't know, like city hall or some kind of well-protected building or a gate. 
and all of a sudden you hear like sirens and you don't necessarily see the cop but there's like a little like when you're playing like an old racing game and you see like an indicator that someone's right behind you and you see that arrow yeah. moving yeah. on the bottom of the screen that tells you where the where the cop car is behind you and all you have to do is block them uh if you block them they will hit you and explode and then that's it you've beaten the cops yeah. if they get past <laughs> you they will get past you and just stop and if they get past you and stop right in front of you they will just stop your car the game's not over but you'll immediately go to like a dead stop so <laughs> it's it's just one of those things where like you know you would think the cops would be there more than they are they're not yeah. it, it's it's just it feels like they were kind of making this up as they went along. Um, and the last thing that I want to call out about Felony 1179 is in the credits. So uh, I, I hate to ruin the game, not that anyone really cares, but when you find all of all of the artifacts, there is one more cutscene where um, Albert Brookman the Fourth or whatever the fuck his name is opens a casket and it immediately turns his face to like like old and decrepit like stone you see like veins and it basically like mummifies him in real time i don't know if that's like a bad ending and there's like a good ending i didn't i wasn't able to play enough to see that but basically this man opens a casket he spent like millions of dollars on and hired this guy to get him all the shit to open it and it kills him which is pretty funny so based on <laughs> runabout 2 i'm guessing there must be multiple endings because that okay. game also has multiple endings um mm. And interestingly, I'm not sure how it would go about in Felony 1179 because there were just so little uh, missions to actually do. There's probably weird pieces of criteria you need to meet to unlock those yeah. different endings because when I go to run about two, I can talk about that a bit. But there are like some strange conditions and stuff that have to be met on each level to actually unlock certain other missions that then lead to the endings that you'll get. So it's just more vaguely defining nonsense within these games. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing that cutscene you talked about was like uncanny, freaky type. Oh, play. yeah. yeah. You know, picture like the shittiest, you know. It's nice because it's CGI for the time, but just yeah. like <laughs> the guy's face looks like rubber. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's that sort of thing. Uh, and and I, was, I was reading the credits, and uh, yeah, the last thing I wanted to say is that the point, apparently... For 1179, the voice effects were done by Darren, Steve, and Jonathan. Darren, Steve, Jonathan, and Mona. There are no last names provided. <laughs> those are the names of the people who did all of the VO for the game. Uh, and I'm assuming the mooing as well. Uh, and the soundtrack was performed. This is interesting. The soundtrack was performed by a Japanese, like, American surf rock group yeah. Yeah. called the Surf Coasters who actually have a history with the Runabout franchise. They did the soundtrack for, I think, every game but one, uh, which is which is pretty neat. Yeah, this is pretty yeah. cool. I mean, this is the weird thing about this series. Like, obviously, we've talked about the fact that it's budget, a lot of it's nonsense, and there are other elements, like you are saying, you're like, they obviously weren't thinking about it, but there's at least a semblance of continuity between them <laughs> as well. Um, the way you were talking about the ending of th that game in particular, it sounds somewhat an ending that's in Runabout 2 as well, and then I assume it, when they start to kind of remove those kind of strange uh, storylines, they probably disappear in the later games, but in those early titles at least, it, it, it's odd how there is a, a, a sort of fixation on some sort of plot when the game itself <laughs> does no job in trying to convey what it actually is. It just tells you where it starts and where it ends. It's um, it's a very, a very strange series, and... That, that's a nice little touch that the, the kind of the composers at least stayed very <laughs> similar throughout. 
You know, we always talk about Ridge Racer lore, but you know, <laughs> it's not the only one. Games like Runabout, they they got a story too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about 1179. Uh, two years later, there was a sequel which you played called Runabout Two. Yes. What I think is really interesting about Runabout Two is they called it that in the U.S., even though the first game was not <laughs> called Runabout in the U.S. So you have this weird scenario where it's a sequel to a game that never existed, uh, at least as far as Americans were concerned. In all honesty, not as if that would help alleviate anybody's concerns about missing anything. <laughs> they'd probably be like, they'd probably just be as lost trying to play this as they would be if they'd played Felony as Runabout. But the, yeah, so Runabout 2 is the one I played, and I did actually play quite a lot of it because I have actually played this when I was younger, like I'd said before. Um, I did quite in, enjoy, is maybe a strong word, but I, I put up with it when I was younger and played it quite a bit. I think I made a tweet about it, but the story about how I actually actually ended up getting Runabout 2 is pretty funny in the sense that I was at Asda, which is obviously just a, a big Walmart over there, Yep. Um, yep. with my mum and dad, and I wanted to buy some chocolate muffins, so I went to the bakery <laughs> section, and there was a lone copy of Runabout 2 sitting there for some reason, <laughs> and it was like £3 on like total reduction from like £10 or whatever, mm. and I ended up buying that instead of the muffins. Probably still regret that decision to this day. <laughs> Look, we won't be talking about those muffins on the podcast, nah, you know, exactly. 20 years later, so... 100%. So maybe it did turn out for the best. But um, <laughs> that's how I obtained this game when I was younger. I played through it, got the bad ending and never touched it again because it was very freaky. Oh. Um, and yeah, so coming back into this, I've not played it in a good, I suppose, like, what, 15 years. Um, and the interesting thing about Runabout 2 is if... Like Felony was so blatant about what the game was about at the start and creating this like ridiculous lore and that type of thing right from the off. Runabout 2 has obviously been inspired by something a bit different in the sense that it keeps things completely vague throughout the entire thing. So when you first put the game up, you get like this kind of intro sequence with like kind of liquid jazz type music in the background and the the truck is back, you'll be happy to hear the, the truck is Great. back in the main character, yep. so that's the main thing. Um, they've reversed the colour scheme though, so good on them black for freshening up okay. that design. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the actual opening itself is pretty nice, Like there's, the, the music's pretty decent and you get some nice shots of the car drifting and stuff. But this is when uh, we come back to a kind of subgenre of styling we've talked about before. It's that Evangelion influence coming back. Because whilst this kind of cutscene's playing out, you've got random words appearing on the screen like good, bad, excitement, oh, tragedy, yes. all of this type of shit happening. The fonts are kind of wobbling and, <laughs> and all over the I've place. I've got it. It's, it's on now. There's like this, the, the truck is doing like a donuts in the middle of like empty black space yes. as like words like aggressive, monster. <laughs> <laughs> Flashing on the screen. This but like, if you keep watching it, you'll see like even at the end, it, it keeps getting more intense. The music's kind of coming to a crescendo, and then the final words appear on the screen: "Good, bad," and then there's like, a photo of a random anime girl that comes up as well, and then it comes yeah. up runabout oh. too. Wow, that is very Evangelion. It it's is, like Ray Ayanami <laughs> just like shows up on the screen. Uh, they also they blended the credits in there too. So in between like yeah. good, bad, and everything, there's like climax research Inc. <laughs> two thousand. You know, <laughs> yeah. 
it's so strange, man. And that mm. is the context for which the game starts from. So there is no kind of spiel at the start, like two minutes or so going through what the plot is. Because the main plot of this game is told th- through emails, effectively. <laughs> so hey, Emails up, are very exciting in 1999. Oh, 100%. There's, there's a dedicated item on the menu called PC Room. It's that exciting. So you go to the <laughs> PC Room and you can see your emails. And basically when the game starts, um, it gives you a kind of first mission similar to that in the first game, I suppose, that's just like, oh, we need to get to the boat harbour with this item, could you please deliver it for me? Hmm. And you go through, you deliver it, and that's kind of, that's the first mission. We've set up where the game will go from here. We're just going to be delivering random items, same as before. When you get to mission two, it's when it gets interesting and you get contacted by an express courier company. You say, oh, we've heard all about uh, the work that you've done and and how talented you are behind the wheel. Um, mm. We have a very important item that we would love you to kind of deliver. Um, we need to get it to the airport as soon as possible. Uh, the main issue is that um, somebody else we gave it to won't give it back. So if you could find a way of removing it from them and delivering it to the airport, <laughs> that'd be great. So is that kind of coy nature, just like, ah, you know what happens? You give somebody something, they don't give it back. Please go destroy this their is car. How you- and- this is how they pull you in, you know, you keep yeah. trying to get out of the business and they keep pulling you back in. That's it. So you do the, the yeah. second mission um, and you deliver that item to the airport by smashing through the airport glass in the front door, um, which is completely normal, of course, normal yeah. behaviour. And then at that point in the game, if you do that mission in the, the relevant time frame, you get the chance to do two different missions. So you get contacted hmm. by the express company again, the express courier company, but then you also get contacted by a man called Agent Jones. And from cool. that point on, yeah, <laughs> brilliant name, <laughs> who does say in that email you get from him to call him Clark. So I'm not sure if he's actually called Jones or Clark. He's oh, please, game. call me Clark. <laughs> yeah, we're on, we're on first name terms, Clark Jones. <laughs> hmm. But basically at this point in the game, uh, you'll be asked to either choose mission three or four. And this is where the good bad that flashes up on the screen comes in, I think. And the the title card, if I'm trying to tie it back to that. Effectively, one of these routes is um, the the bad, kind of villainous route, and one of them is the good trying to stop the the villainous side of things. Mm. And the whole crux of the plot revolves around an item called the Crystal Skull. I shit you not. So... (laughs) There is an item that they're fighting for, Jones and the, the Express Courier Company. One of them wants a crystal skull to put it in the museum. The other wants it for what they say is the protection of humanity as we know it. Mm. And from there, it's the exact same game that Felony is, in the sense that yeah. you're asked to kind of pick up items, deliver them. I'm not sure if in Felony it did this, and I think we might have actually talked about this offline, Adam, but... In this game, you'll change vehicle types mid-mission and stuff as well. So you'll oh. do the, the first part of the mission, uh, in mission two, for example, when you're stealing the crystal skull, you'll use the truck to kind of crash into the, the police car, take it, and then you go into an indoor car park, you change onto mm. a bike, and then you escape to, to kind of end the mission. I take it those type That's of cool. vehicle changes were in the first game. Yeah, you don't do that in 1179. Yeah, yeah. you're just picking the beginning, that's it. So that's a slight improvement, at least um, in terms of a wee bit of variety. The bikes are fucking shocking in terms of handling, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's something a bit different. But the game Imagine is now, the same. it definitely looks it looks like a better game 
Yeah. Just it looks just more interesting. It looks a little bit more refined. And um, what I was saying before about 1179 feeling like a very early PlayStation game, this feels like a, you know, the system kind of closer to the end of its lifespan. Um, it just looks a little bit nicer. It's interesting. They actually changed the truck from, and nothing is licensed, obviously. But yeah, yeah. in the first game, the truck was a Dodge Ram. This one's like a Chevy Silverado. Yeah, yeah, Silverado. Uh, they kind of change it. It's also like, it's got like NASCAR wheels and like a roll bar in the back. It's pretty and stuff. cool looking. So, I would say it's yeah. a cool truck. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's. I'm not even a truck guy, and I think it's a cool truck. So that, this is um, one of the reasons why I remember the game like really because I did always find the vehicle pretty cool looking. It's got the most yeah. stupid name ever. It's just called like one thousand five hundred, I think. So it's not even got <laughs> yeah like fifteen hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't really have that much of a descriptor, but. That goes for all the vehicles in the game, to be honest. There's a 500S, which is just a Fiat 500. There's there's a few things like that in there. There's quite a lot of unlockable vehicles, to be honest. There's tanks in there, combine harvesters. There's there's a lot of kind of cool, gimmicky vehicles you can use in any of the missions, just to try and freshen it up, which is pretty mm. cool. But to kind of close off the plot side of things, effectively you get to the mission 9, which is when um, basically... The plot comes to a crux and both mm. of the plot lines kind of meet. And you're told, deliver this crystal skull here or it's over. Ooh, so that's it. You do this or you're out nice. you're out the scene and wow. we, we won't be taking this any further. Both the good good and bad guys both say it at the same time. So it's a, mm. a bit of a frustrating moment for our hero here. <laughs> so, so do you have to choose at that point if you want to be so, good or bad? This is where it gets interesting, right? And I'm assuming they did this not from a, a good storytelling standpoint or because they felt it would help advance the, the narrative in a different direction or anything, but maybe they just wanted to do this to fuck people over. But effectively, <laughs> in Mission 9, you're told to go to a certain place within the time limit, like any of the missions. If you get there in time and complete it, you set yourself up for the bad ending. So the guy's oh. inherent nature is villainous, really. The mm. game decides that... Even though you've been trying to change this guy's path, he's always going to be a bad guy. Yeah, fate. And it's yeah, saying a lot exactly. of a lot of uh, important philosophical things about you know fate versus free will. Hundred yeah. percent. We refer to the, the texts, the ancient texts of Shadow the Hedgehog for PlayStation Two. It tells a similar <laughs> story as well, and this is what happens. And you you, you complete, complete mission nine, and then you go to mission eleven. Which is odd, of course, but I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> you, you, you go in mission eleven, and it's the easiest mission of the whole game, pretty much. Like because your your character has embraced his identity, he knows what he wants to do. Nothing can stand in his way. Mm. And you beat the, you beat the game, and then you get treated to a, a, a cutscene. I call it a cutscene. It's like a series of still images. But basically, <laughs> the, the final mission is to enable the powers of the crystal skull so that it can bring an alien technology to earth and basically destroy like, the side of america that you're on um, normal <laughs> normal stuff it is, whichever one it is yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's very like indescript there's a beach yeah. so we'll kid on it's early or something um <laughs> and then the kind of final cutscene that the vast majority of players will see the first time they play the game is your kind of car parked beside like this incredibly large flooded area like you can see like the water is up to like half the, the height of skyscrapers and all this type oh of my shit God. It, the place is in ruins um and then it kind of goes into the car and the guy opens his laptop um and the express company have another job for him so the express company were also the villainous ones agent jones was the nice guy against the uh, odds um wow. 
and he gets asked if he wants to take the mission on this email text that zooms into your character's face and he's got a, a weird kind of awkward smile. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it, it's a very kind of awkward looking face. <laughs> and um, then he kind of turns his head to the right and he's got the crystal skull sitting in his passenger seat. And then it like, zooms into the crystal skull and you hear like, a distant laughter and then the credits trigger. Um, so that's the that's the bad ending. Now, if you reverse back <laughs> to Mission 9, where you were told to do this certain thing, get here in time, both sides want you to do this, so obviously you were going to do it. If you choose not to meet it within the time limit, and just stop the car, and mm-hmm. let the time limit go to zero, now, you'll remember that you were saying the first game, Adam, the game lets you keep playing when you get to yeah. zero, right? Because yeah. you've got to learn the traffic routes, you've got to learn blah blah right, blah. Right, right. In this mission, if you let the timer reach zero and still sit for a while, the game will trigger the kind of mission complete, like kind of fanfare. Oh. We'll say it's done, and then you get to trigger mission ten, and it's your objective wow. to stop another agent from the courier company doing the job that you were going to do in mission eleven. If you do that, you trigger the good ending, mm. and then our our hero gets to meet up back up with his family. He's got a nice portrait of them in his truck. He's smiling in a not yeah, creepy way. I see that. The game yeah. ends. <laughs> That's so cool. That that is honestly more than I would have ever expected yeah. from the Runabout franchise. Uh, it, and I kind of wish I played. I might go back and play this one because it just. <laughs> I love I love games that screw with you like that, and it's a very uh, you know, kind of novel but effective way of lengthening the gameplay time of yeah. what is you know probably a short game because it's this is the '90s after all. Go back and do that mission again. See see what changes. Yeah, I mean. It- it's clever. It, it's pretty clever, especially given that it's not something you really expect to see from the yeah. game, and it's not as if it materially changes the experience, but it's just one of those little kind of a, bits of attention to detail that's pretty nice, because the game does reward certain criteria being met in other missions if you do it like 20 seconds faster, or, mm. or that sort of thing with other cars and stuff, but allowing a kind of a fork in the narrative at that point yeah, through that type of means is interesting, because it's not like you've been explicitly asked what route you want to go down. It It's just that idea that the, the driver herself just had enough of this shit and as a result actually ended up being able to play as the good guy. So, And um, people wouldn't yeah. have known, you know, back in the day. I feel like yeah. today you'd be more aware of the possibility that, like, if I just didn't do what they told me to do, then something different might happen. But, like, in the 90s, I mean, that kind of, like fourth wall breaking sort of storytelling in games was probably not something nah. anyone imagined especially from a game like this you know a, a car game exactly and yeah. we talked about like kind of evangelion styling of the, the intro to a certain extent but the whole game seems to have been influenced from that different type of storytelling that was maybe coming to prominence where there's that like a kind of a, a subtext almost or a hmm. a, a sub narrative of how things should go down not being explicitly obvious and yeah. the game does a good job, I suppose, of of keeping that air of mystique because mm. it's so funny, man. Like some of the emails you get from people, one minute like Lisa from the courier company will be emailing you, and then Priest Nelson will email you. <laughs> it's just like what the fuck? And like Priest Nelson's emailing you because in one of the missions he wants you to destroy like the eight shrines in this desert place, which is mm. a little bit odd. Um, and then he wants you to destroy like, this religious statue or something at the end of the Eight Shrine Road and that type of thing. And 
There's just so much strange variety packed into 11 missions here. It's funny as fuck because they, they put in this kind of narrative twist and the game is not that long to really justify it. If you sure, yeah. every mission in the, the relevant time frame, you're talking like a 23 minute game, but they managed to like <laughs> include a pretty interesting twist in there. Um, mm. And there's like... I mean, most of it seems like it's reading because these emails are long. Oh, they are. And 100%. like... You- you see these pictures, like um, you know, you were saying you see like Lisa or whatever. You're, you're, she's there. Yeah. You're there with her family, whatever it is. And the way that these, they're not really animated, like you say, they're stills. Yeah. Um, but it's like this 2D sort of illustration style. It reminds me of like when you're browsing, when you're on like Facebook or something like that, and you see the ads for like those weird like. Um, you know, branching storylines, yeah, like those, yeah. like the ones called like episodes or whatever. It's like, what happens if she gets pregnant? Like these <laughs> weird, fucking, like cryptic, you know, strange story games that people on Facebook apparently play. It looks like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that is it exactly. Like very, like vaguely anime. Like not good, <laughs> not good enough to be like proper anime. Yeah. Yeah. It does have that kind of style <laughs> that you would think would come from a Western budget studio then because of that. Like mm, yeah. even like the anime aesthetic looks so jank, like you're saying, it doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't really fit the game that well, but <sighs> Runabout 2 is very odd. I know every game in this series is very strange, but there's just something very surreal about the way this game tells its very light story and con- contrast that to the absolutely moronic gameplay because just to kind of touch on that as well, you were talking about the fact that you've got those kind of silly elements to the gameplay, whether it be through sound effects, the missions themselves, and Runabout 2 continues that down to a T because there's one thing in this game I think isn't in the first one, based on conversations we've had, Adam, where the driver actually speaks when you're oh. doing stuff. So yeah. if you choose to crash into a car, your driver will exclaim, you can't hurt me. and then when you're going through the pedestrian areas as well it'll be like sorry can't waste time and then Mm. the pedestrians will shout back where did you get your license (laughs) are Mm. you crazy there's a good back and forth here it's it's so in depth it was very touching to to hear the dialogue (laughs) um but it's so funny i don't think there's any cows or anything in this game which is really frustrating that's that's really a missed that, yeah. That's that's really a missed opportunity because I tell you it would have been great to hear Darren, Steve, Jonathan, or Mona, <laughs> uh, you know, mooing like a cow yeah. or any any manner of livestock. Um, wow, yeah, that seems like. So I I've played you know I've played some of uh, Super Runabout. I definitely didn't go as in depth into either of the games I played as you did, but I feel like Runabout yeah. Two is probably the best because it seems like it's a perfect. Um, it's it's the perfect midpoint between like not being enough game and being like too much, because like yeah. I was I was messing around with Super Runabout, which was the Dreamcast version. They call Super Runabout San Francisco Edition, which is like, I mean, the game takes place in San Francisco, so yeah. I, I guess that fits. I don't know. All of these games take place in like various nondescript parts of America, uh, and it's got like you can play as like there's like two campaigns. And honestly, after playing this game for like 40 minutes, I was like, I'm really busy yeah. <laughs> this week. I'm good. Like, it, just, it was it was kind of becoming a slog. Um, but we can talk about that. We can talk about San Francisco edition a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
the first way in which I was exposed to this game, I talked a little bit about this on the Christmas episode, the last one that we did, was I was really into about like eight years ago or so, I learned and realized you could burn Dreamcast games. Um, you know, which was like 10 years after everyone else was doing it for fun. So <laughs> I burned a copy of San, of uh, Super Run About San Francisco Edition, having absolutely zero exposure to these games. And the thing about when you like burn games or like for the Dreamcast or PlayStation, sometimes you can like fuck it up a little bit or like yeah. the, the ROM that you have is a little like, you know, sort of like botched or uh, corrupted or something. So I burned the game. I put in my Dreamcast. I started playing it. And when you're like choosing which campaign you want to do, there's like a cop campaign. And then there's like oh, another campaign where you're like this like redneck family and you own like a car a garage like a like you fix up cars but you do like odd jobs yeah, yeah and i think i chose the second one the family the garage and like you just hear like chicken noises and animals <laughs> and like fucking dogs barking and the cable car goes you just hear all these random sound effects when people are speaking like they're not there's no dialogue. There's no voiceover. The dialogue is all in text. Yeah. But every time they open their mouth, you hear a noise from the world. So I was thinking like, oh, my, the game's obviously corrupted because there's no reason it should be playing these sound effects when people are supposed to be talking. Yeah. But um, no, after that, I went on YouTube and I watched these cutscenes and totally that's the way the game is designed. They, <laughs> they just have random sound effects playing anytime <laughs> anyone op opens their mouth. <laughs> which is about you know as, as i've come to learn the most runabout thing in the world so how did they go from the <sighs> runabout to narrative masterpiece to to sound effect dialogue like come on guys what went wrong i think that you like the way you describe runabout 2 is actually kind of surprising to me having played the first one the third one because uh in the dreamcast one it's like it's so goofy. And I mean, I guess the second one's kind of goofy too, but you, you can see like they're trying to make a serious thing from like everything you told me and like the cutscenes I just watched from the second game. Like it really seems like they're trying to go like really like dramatic with it. Um, they even had like the, the guy, it said like a Ken Naito production, like as, as if that's supposed to mean anything, like he directed the game. But I feel like, I feel like uh, Super Runabout goes back to like just being goofy as all hell. Like yeah. if you do the... Uh, if you do the cop campaign, like the first or second mission, you play as these cops who are apparently like terrible at their jobs and to prove that they're better, they have to take like the shitty tasks that no one else wants mm -hmm. to do in the, in the precinct or whatever. Yeah. So the first one is like collect the ketchup and mustard balls and bring them to city hall for the barbecue or something, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and, and that, that's about as exciting as you imagine it would be. Yeah. Uh, and it honestly like for a dreamcast game it plays all right it looks nice enough you know it looks kind of like a slightly like more low rent crazy taxi anytime you have to like do something like there's this one the missions have like kind of these mini objectives within them which is something that i didn't experience in like 1179 yeah so there's one where it's like you you because you're in san francisco you know there are cable cars and you like pass cable car and it says charge the cable car and I, this pops <laughs> up on the screen and i'm like i don't know what that means like am i like 
is there some sort of like is electricity involved in this am i supposed to get to move apparently what that means is hit the cable car enough times until it explodes i guess because the cable car was carrying like a bomb uh the first mission Visual. when you're playing is like yeah when you're the first mission when you're playing is like the rednecks um uh, apparently you you uh you're like over the police scanner and you hear that like oh there's a bomb in the city you need to get and i don't know why they're doing this and the police aren't doing this like none of this makes sense yeah <laughs> but they also like if you do that campaign with the family they also for some reason like you you would think you would be choosing between really shitty like random cars but one of them's like a unlicensed ferrari dino 246 <laughs> in blue that's on the cover of the game yeah it's on the cover isn't it yeah yeah so yeah i mean i really i really don't know i i didn't play much more of it than that but it's just weird it's <laughs> it's uh I, I, it might deserve further investigation, but honestly, I just want to play Super. I want to play Runabout Two based on what you told me because that just seems yeah. like the more interesting game. I think obviously, like when they wanted to take the series in the next direction, I think your point about uh, Crazy Taxi is actually a really good point because it is the type of game where the gameplay loop itself can probably go down two different directions. You've got the Runabout Two way of doing things, but then there's also that kind of crazy cookie gameplay that suits it like i think we talked about it in the christmas cast where it comes up on the screen get the hot dog and and shit like yeah. that like it's it's funny madness really y you can take a game like runabout and fit it to that and maybe that's why they thought it was the best idea to get down that route because something like crazy taxi was having so much success i mean i i well yeah it would have came out after crazy taxi i assume this game Crazy Taxi was a launch. Yeah, game, yeah, because yeah. Crazy Taxi was like close to launch. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Dreamcast, none of it lasted that long, obviously. So, uh, but yeah, it's. Yeah. This was a time for games like that, you know, and you also had like the Simpsons version of it too that they had, like Road Rage was big. So, all Aye. these like doing random stuff around cities, picking people up, you know, stopping bombs, get, getting the hot dog. <laughs> these were all things that were gamers looked yeah. forward to at the time. Absolutely, and a natural progression for the driving genre as well at that time. Um, I will say that game, even if it looks kind of visually nicer and maybe has some like kind of gameplay handling improvements and stuff, it sounds a lot less intriguing than even Felony to me. Like I didn't play Felony, obviously you led with that one, but for me, like Runabout Two seems to be the sweet spot of the series where. It's weird, like, the game is obviously very obtuse and nonsensical, but mm -hmm. I almost embraced it to that level that you start to appreciate it. Like, you can, you just gotta laugh at what it's trying to do. Um, it, it kind of hits that perfect balance of madness, but also ridiculous storytelling, which is pretty fun. And, and listen, I'm all for people talking and sound effects. Like, that, that sounds hilarious. Um, but it does seem as if that one would be a case of you, you play it for 40 minutes if that and then you don't really touch yeah. it again um, whereas I think like the kind of branching narratives and stuff that Runabout 2 had was pretty interesting for what is effectively a very simple concept for a game changing up the vehicle mid-mission vehicle changes that type of thing Yeah, um, it's interesting that they kind of seemed to have threw that away and just went more back to the felony style of gameplay yeah, I mean, look, it's quite possible that more of that stuff happens later in the game, but... Yeah, true, true. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, like, 
the the first two games really were the sweet spot too in terms of like exposition because yep. like it it seems like with the second one there is that story there but you really have everything you need to know just by reading the text before the mission whereas yeah. like this has like a lot of an engine cutscenes like you start the game uh, okay. out you're doing the garage story and like there's like this guy with like blonde hair and funky sunglasses talking to you and then there's this old like you know kind of um sort of grumpy grandpa guy uh and then there's this like little girl for some reason who tells them that like they have a job to do and i don't know why they're taking orders from this this like girl it's just all very <laughs> weird and you just yeah. watch them talk to each other in sound effects and you're like I, i'm I, I i i just let me just go get the hot dog at this point <laughs> like, <I'm laughs> it's so funny man like mm-hmm. for a for a series from a developer who just kind of seem to dabble in whatever they could i just can't believe runabout was the one series they were like you know what this is going to be our legacy this is the the one connecting thread between all eras of our game development studio mm-hmm. it'll be runabout and at that this series won't make any bean of sense to the 99 percent of people that play it unless you get some strange guys on a podcast talking about it way down the line and dissecting the, the, the plot lines the character development you know, I think with Super Runabout, there is a deeper uh, deeper meaning here because the first uh, mission, which I've forgotten about, the first mission is called The Poor Have No Leisure. And in this Great. mission, you are uh, trying to get all the bombs around San Francisco while, while in the cop campaign, they're just getting the condiments for City Hall. So I think this really <laughs> says something about how the proletariat is actually like, you know, the protector of the people. And look, I mean, anyone's going to accuse me of being political. This isn't my politics. This is no, this no. is runabout. This yeah. is climax. You know, Japanese company having something quite profound to say about, um, you know, the socio-political climate of America. So that, that's all I'm going to put out there. And I'm willing to bet they've done all the research required to make that call as well. <laughs> so, you know what? One of the, the greatest academics of our time, Climax Entertainment. They... And this Ken Naito guy. <laughs> 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 maybe he's like maybe maybe he's, he's like he's like in the I, the second game it doesn't say that but maybe he's like an accomplice for all we know he could be like the um like that guy the guy who made Earthbound like he could be an accomplished author or something like yeah. that in Japan we just have no idea perhaps oh uh, now I'm thinking how great would it be if they got the uh, uh, the Evangelion guy to make one of these games to write the story oh. of a runabout. Man, that that would be the crossover we fucking need. Like, the the parts are all there, there the pieces are there. They just need to be put together. This is it. Like, give Runabout the send off it deserves. Yeah. Hmm. So you know, I think after that, uh, we we didn't play the last two games in the series, but there was another one on PlayStation called or on PS2 called Runabout Three Neo Age that came out in two thousand two. And the final game was on 3DS. Ten years, a full ten years between the PS2 one and the 3DS one. In 2012, they came out with Runabout 3D Drive Impossible. But that was only a name in Japan. In the West, it was called Crash City Mayhem. Which is really sad because at that point yeah. it just sounds like some iOS game or like some kind of like DSiWare, like freeware Nintendo thing, you know, it, it, it doesn't really do runabout justice. But critical to note, the same yellow and black pickup truck is in Crash City Mayhem, so they really didn't forget their roots. 
you know what, that, that makes it all worth it. The name change, unforgivable, but the fact that our, our boy 1500 still there. <laughs> Fifteen hundred lad, he's still there. Does the, does the character, does the character in um, Runabout Two, do they have a name? The one you play as? Perhaps it's never mentioned okay. in the. Okay. Oh, actually, you you get to name the driver. I forgot about that because oh, okay. I call mine's Brink because I felt as if. Oh, you right. <laughs> he sent me he sent me a screenshot of like name your character Brink. <laughs> I just felt as if it was too jank to go with a real mm-hmm. name, so I fucking threw a K on there instead of a D. Yeah. Um, but you, it might be possible in terms of, like, there's some Japanese kind of text that appears in the ending cutscenes that weren't translated because climax no importance of subtext and storytelling. They don't want to make it too mm-hmm. obvious for us. Um, I've never actually translated that myself. Maybe there are some kind of mentions there of what the driver's name actually is, and we are using a code name because if if Agent Jones is known as Clark, then what can you rule out? You know what I mean? Like, right. It's very layered here at the end of the day. So maybe our guy does have a name we're not aware of. Um, but no, as far as I know, they don't have a name. I don't even know if it's the same guy in Three, um, Neo Age. Hmm. But you know, <laughs> I have to call this out, right? So I'm looking at Three Neo Age photos on Google. And it's just like kind of screenshots from the game, the box art and stuff. But somebody's uploaded to GranTurismo.com escapes tribute to run about free Neo Age. I shit you not, yeah. Um it's got oh, you, a, you got a you gotta send and, this to me or something. Oh, I, I don't really <laughs> I'm, I'm like going through Google right Images. <laughs> I'm putting it in the Discord right now. Wow. So, you know what? Maybe the legacy is there. <laughs> so the guy's Looks. got a, a Mustang and the, the right colour scheme. He's got a car in the background. Um, not sure what that's got that's to do. That's incredible. Age, but you know what? That is pretty cool. That is that is beautiful. That's what we love to see on Time XM. People, people remembering these games. And also, like, uh, Runabout 3 as well should point out that it didn't come out in the US. Um... It was exclusively Japan and Europe, and I guess like, yeah. I, I guess this market wasn't the one for Runabout. Imagine that when you come out with like three <laughs> games that don't even have the same name, like they're in the same franchise. You know, the people might yeah. be confused, and the games won't sell well. Uh, the, the cover of the of I'm, I'm seeing the uh, the Euro version <laughs> of it. It says on the bottom, "Time to get wrecked." <laughs> it's a, like the worst font. It's like fucking a common phrase in scotland on a friday night and you go to a pub time to get right wrecked. they knew they knew their audience like <laughs> clearly but did you notice um, as well it was bam that published it in yeah. europe instead of midas i mean i can mm. only imagine the the backroom boardroom chaos to, to try and ensure that bam got run about free midas must have been fuming yeah, the the last game too, the 3DS one wasn't even developed by Climax. Uh, although I think Climax was still around back then. It was developed by another company called Rocket Company. I don't know what else they did. Um, but there, there, there you go. So a, 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 a you know, kind of a rather like sort of tamped down ending you know a, a, a slow a slow burn away for the for the runabout franchise they didn't really get to go out on top you know with the with the um fireworks it deserved not at all and 
in a way, I suppose, you know what? Maybe that's what Kenny Toe would have wanted. Maybe that's it, like, Climax, they, they, they weave the story that transcended all logic and continuity. How, how can you even close that series up perfectly? I don't even know if New Age has a story, to be honest. I'm going to have to check that out after the pod, because we might be missing out on something great here. We should uh, see if we can get Ken Naito. I hope he's still around. You know, it's been a long time. <laughs> we should see if we can get him on the podcast, do an interview. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But- maybe maybe it was like a Yu Suzuki situation for him where he imagined like grandiose, like 20 chapters of the Runabout franchise, but they only made the first, the, the first game was, you know, the one he did. So he has, he could have like written a novel, you know? He could have. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which actually t- do you want to mention <laughs> what you were talking about before we start recording real quick? Absolutely. So, <laughs> I think I've mentioned this before, but I had a sealed copy of Driver San Francisco on the 360. Um, never had been opened because I played it on the PS3. I'd managed to come across that copy and it was just sitting there yesterday. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to open it, install it on the Xbox, just so I can look at all these glorious backwards compatibility racing games that you can play on the Xbox, because... Xbox has got a pretty big sale just now on backwards compatible titles, so I picked mm. up like Crazy Taxi, Burnout, Sonic Transforms for like eight pounds in total, which is fucking great. Um, and I was like, you know what? What a driver is a title there too. So I opened the game, and there was a, a flyer inside it beside the manual, and mm-hmm. it was like, you've played the game, now get the book thrown at you. And then it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I is like obviously the whole cop connotations thing there but very odd phrasing um and it was advertising a book um driver nemesis by someone called alex sharp so i've got a big in my hand there mm, look at um, that <laughs> <laughs> the official novel of the best-selling game now as far as i can see this novel came out the same week as the game so hmm. ubisoft were obviously confident it didn't lead to the death of the franchise, of course. Um, they, they knew it was going to be a hit. And so I got the book, and it's one of these weird things where there was one copy left on Amazon which surprised me in the first place. I thought for sure it'd just be lost to the kind of ethers of time. There isn't an Amazon Kindle version of it from what I can see. Um, I just didn't expect it to be in stock, but there was one in stock, Prime Delivery. So I ordered it at 8pm yesterday. It arrived Great. today at 6pm. Wow. Which is fucking insane for a 2010 book based on Driver San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and I, op- I opened the book up and I didn't really know what to expect, right? It's not going to be a fucking a novel masterclass. <laughs> we know that much, right? In the very first page before I get into the, the actual funny line, it says that Alex Sharp is just a synonym of an English thriller writer who's written for stage and screen. So our man that wrote this oh. doesn't want to have his real name on it. So... It's uh, it's an interesting. Could be spot. anyone. It could you know? be exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we really don't know. Um, in the acknowledgement section, there's one name. So, my mm-hmm. thanks for all his help and support during the writing of this book to Gavin Williams. Now I've not mm. looked up who Gavin Williams is, but I think he might be part of the development studio, the uh, Reflections, maybe. If that, maybe I'm talking crap, but uh. I'll have a look. Unfortunately, he shares the same name as like a promising baseball uh, prospect, so um, can't find him. Sorry, he's he's not reflections <laughs> either. So whoever he is, Gav, you just got a shout out, mate. 
So, <laughs> I get into when the, the story actually starts, right? And bear in mind, this is a, a driver novel based off Driver San Francisco. And it's just a blank page with five words on it. Hmm. That sets the scene for what's about to happen. It simply says, New Orleans, pre-Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> it's just oh like... God. What the fuck? Like, I, I don't know where the story's going to go from here. I've not read the next mm. page yet, but it's just like, from what I know about the game, from what I know about the story of the game, from what I know about the Driver franchise, like, why does there have to be a descriptor about it being pre-Hurricane Katrina? I, I, I kind of have to wonder if one of the worst tragedies in this country of like the last 20 years somehow becomes like a major focal point of this story. <laughs> It's got to, isn't it? Like, why yeah. else would you call it out? Like, I, I don't. Alright. Hmm. If they just written New Orleans, do you really think any of the, the four people that read this would have been like, what, is it post Hurricane Katrina? Or yeah, exactly. Hurricane Katrina? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, really, if the ground didn't current events. Well, you know, yeah. you read that, get back to us, and next episode we'll talk about it, and, you know. Yeah, Time Extend <laughs> Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> book club. How many books like this exist do you think that directly, uh, know. you know, pertain to racing games? There's got to be a few, isn't there? Like the, this type of thing, it can't just be a a single case of this. There must be others. There's got to be. Mm. But you know what? I'm glad I own it just for the sheer novelty of it. But man, I am really excited to see what this is like. Because surely yeah. if it starts like that, it's going to be fucking brilliant. Are you committed to reading, like, reading it? Well, or do you think you're going to get through, like, you know, 30 pages and be like, I'm good? It's four, <laughs> 400 pages long. Jesus Christ. No, you shouldn't do that. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't punish yourself like that. That's, you shouldn't have to go through that. I know Driver is, San Francisco is, like, a beloved game for yeah. the people who played it, but, like, yeah. I mean, come on. This just seems so excessive. Like, 400 yeah, pages? So. When I seen like, the photo <laughs> of the book on the flyer and it looked thick, I was like, oh, they're just doing that thing they do for advertising materials where they make it look more <laughs> impressive. And then it's like a fucking Harry Potter novel or something, man. It's wow. unbelievable. There's also a, a coinciding DC comic for drivers. Jesus, well. they, they really wanted to make this a thing. It's kind yeah. of sad that it didn't... And I mean, you, like, I've played a little bit of Driver San Francisco. Like, I never played enough of it to, to really appreciate, like, some people did. But yeah. it really seemed like they put a lot of effort into that game. You, Ubisoft put all of their, like, you know, uh, big, big publisher money into it. Like, they, they were trying to make this a thing. Like, if it was a little bit more successful, it could have gotten, like, a, a, a B-tier, like, Netflix series yeah. or something. Just came out a little bit too early. That's it, mate. And I think it's pretty funny, actually, just given the main subject of our discussion, because Runabout and Driver probably share some kind of similar yeah. quantities in terms of what they're going for. Um, maybe that's the crossover we need. Like, maybe that that's what brings yeah. Runabout back into the forty. It's it's what brings Driver back to life. Like two two superpowers in <laughs> driving game history come together. Who knows what will happen. Yeah, I mean, what if like the driver guy uh, crossed paths with the runabout guy from from Runabout Two? I feel like 
You know, he doesn't, he has what, like, uh, amnesia, right? And he can, yeah. like, go between different car people diff driving different cars and stuff. I feel like that could have really amped up the runabout two story. I think so. And mm -hmm. I think, like, a natural progression is that the, the crystal skull from runabout two enables those type of powers in the real world. And the only <laughs> man that knows the extent of those powers is John Tanner from Driver. John Tanner. So he's got he's got to take Runabout 2 guy down. There we go. Free plot. Steven Spielberg. Have a freebie, mate. Make it up. Mm. <laughs> if uh, any of the people who worked on Driver, Driver San Francisco are listening to this, and we know you are, um, you know, please get in touch with us. We have a lot of ideas about where a franchise <laughs> can go next. You don't have to pay us anything. Yeah. Um, just, you know, put us in the credits or something like that. Uh, and in every interview, publicly thank us for being, you know, the, the real momentum push that brought this franchise back because we want to be recognized for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is Time Extends Endgame is, is coming to fruition now. We, we're, <laughs> we're, we're planting the seeds. <laughs> uh, well, this was, this was a really fun episode uh, that went off... Uh, in, in the direction that I kind of knew it was going to go in because it cannot, yeah, yeah. you know, about runabout uh, when, when we're talking about this sort of game. But uh, you, we brought things to the table that I I wasn't even expecting. So this is going to go down as a favorite for sure. Yeah, I think so. We, we said in the, the Christmas cast before, but we're definitely heading into our um, derivative season of Time Extend. Like the games mm -hmm. we've got lined up, we, we are, we're going deep now. Like the, the surface level... Oh, I love this arcade racing game. All the Sega stuff's good. No, but we've conquered that now. But this is us. We've our... done that. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to these games now that very few people remember. <laughs> we're going into these type of cult classic hits. Um, this is it. Like this is us. We're, we're I mean, what a way to start twenty twenty two. Yeah. Now we're gonna get weird about it. So uh, <laughs> I think I think Choro Q's next. So that'll yes. Be, that'll be exciting. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, you know, um, at the end of the episode, uh, just usual thing that we always mention, uh, go check out the time extend discord. If you haven't yet, I feel like every time we post an episode, some people listen and there's usually someone who reaches out to us like, yeah. Hey, I want to join. That's always, that's always great to see. Um, the way that you join is just send us a DM or something on Twitter and our Twitter is time underscore extend. And yep. of course, you know, give us a follow if you like. That would be uh, that would be very kind. Um, Brendan, you've been killing it with the ship posts and the cool. <laughs> and I even half the time it's not even ship posts. You just find yeah. stuff that other people didn't know about. Like you posted this like Gran Turismo sport ad that I'd yeah, never seen. That yeah. was fucking awesome. So, uh, you know, continue kicking ass as you always do. <laughs> I mean, that that's the thing. Like. I think we knew through the Twitter we could try and capture some of the irrelevant type of conversations we have through irrelevant content and that type of newspaper print ad about GT Sport that would have just been lost to time. Very cool calling shit like that out because it's a lot better than some of the proper marketing materials yeah, that, exactly. that game had at the end of the day. <laughs> and um, That's just another good example of what we often say where for every one of these games or series as we talk about there's always somebody out there that can do it justice in terms of producing content about it or or talking about it at length discussing it um i think that even applies to kind of advertising materials so that's one of the reasons why do that kind of ebay skimmer that i've talked about a few times mm -hmm. where just type in the name of a game and there's always like these sellers that just fucking keep magazine ads from like 15 yeah. years ago and shit and you find shit you don't even know about yeah, yeah. 
And you know what? Fair play as well to places like Moby Games, I think it is, that oh, often yeah. takes these promo artworks and stuff and scans them, puts them up there, because that's fantastic too. Um, this type of stuff is always infinitely more interesting to me than the actual stuff that's always readily available. So <laughs> the fact that you can find obscure ads like that for GT Sport, a mainline fucking series game for one of the biggest series in the world, video game-wise. Yeah. And I've never seen it before. Like that's mm-hmm. really cool. And this is the thing. Like anytime anybody finds content like that, it's getting shared in our Discord now as well, which is really cool. Um, yep. You're seeing it in all the different servers. Um, our channel. Sorry. Like I think I posted one on my personal Twitter the other day, and it was like Kazunori standing beside his crashed like Nissan GTR with his thumbs up from like 1994 <laughs> and it's just like images like that are just so fucking cool man like the more shit like that we can see is good and that's why i always want to try and share that type of thing mm. yeah no it's it and and the discord has been a great place to uh share things like that that we find and also all the stuff that you know we didn't know about that that people bring to our attention and then we try the signal yeah. boost so um if you just want to see some surprising old video game ads uh pictures of uh, Kazunori uh, next to a crash GTR and, and various <laughs> random things like that. Yeah. Go check out the Time Extend Discord. Uh, we'd love to have you there. So, exactly, exactly. But that's gonna do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Cheers, guys.